I want to talk to you about the foundation today. This is the final message in a series on the family that prays. And we haven't talked as much about prayer as we've talked about the foundation of prayer, which is uh, mostly about faith. But today we're going to talk about a different foundation of prayer. And I want to talk about uh, what Ephesians 6 deals with uh, as the foundation, probably the most important foundation for a powerful praying family. Now, Ephesians is an awesome book. I hear that uh, from Christians quite frequently. What? Oh, I love the book of Ephesians. But, but I seldom really hear them talk about what is really so great about Ephesians. And today I, I want to kind of, as an aside, maybe let you in on what really makes Ephesians such a great book of the Bible to understand. Uh, the conversation in Ephesians 6 is in large part about how we cheat the dark forces of their intention to damage and limit our earthly life when we submit to authority. That's large part what Ephesians 6 is. We see this, we see that down in verse 3. We'll begin in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And many translators believe that doesn't just always mean a, 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 how many years you live, but how full your life is, the, whatever amount of years you have, how full and meaningful and important and impactful those years are. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, if you go further down, you know, where, I, where I get the idea that this is about uh, power, what I'm calling today spiritual authority, this is about power with God and power in the world that goes beyond your house. Further down in the chapter in verse 10, he says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Verse 11, he says, take your stand against the devil's schemes. Uh, he goes on to say, our, our struggle is against the powers of this dark world in verse 11, and the spiritual forces of evil. Then in verse 16, he says, we are able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then the great apostle Paul ends this thought on the spiritual battle that is supposed to typify the life of the child of God with these words, and pray in Ephesians verse, chapter 6, verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I'm trying to tell you today that verse 1 relates to verse 20 and verse 19 and verse 18, that there's a relationship between the release of power over dark forces and the relationship that mom and dad and children have at home. The fact that a conversation about authority, Ephesians, is about spiritual authority. That's what the book is about. It begins in chapter 1 with the authority of Christ. It's very clearly, chapter 1, especially near the end of the chapter, it very clearly delineates that Christ has been raised to fill all things. And then in chapter 2, um, uh, we have uh, uh, 
we have our personal authority. Our personal authority in Christ. Chapter 2 says we've been raised together, to set together with Christ in heavenly places. And in chapter 3 and 4, we begin to see the authority of the church. The authority of the church that God has given pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles to equip the saints for ministry. That God gave his gifts to the church. Then in chapter 6, we proceed to this conversation about our struggle with dark forces of evil. And it ends with an urging to live a life of prayer. That means that our relationship with the subject of authority is the key to a powerful mastery and a powerful and overcoming life. We must start to take seriously what's being said about being submitted to authority and being responsible in authority. Being, being submitted to authority, God's delegated authority, and being responsible in authority. That God's plan is that his power flows through authority. His power flows from his authority to the authority of his son, to the authority of delegated authority of government, church, and family in the world. God doesn't act apart from authority. Now, the, the idea of being submitted to authority and being responsible in authority, those two ideas are not disconnected, but they're less connected than we would like. <laughs> I said those two ideas are not disconnected, but they're not as connected as we would like. You know, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying is we, we think, okay, if authority is honorable, I will honor them. And God does teach authority to be honorable. But when God tells us to honor authority, he really doesn't put a period there. He doesn't put a, there's not a clause. Honor them if they're honorable. And so we have this struggle that goes on within us, right? So we're going we're gonna to unpack this a little more today, but we sometimes get stuck on is, 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 is those I'm supposed to honor, are they honorable enough? And the, on the same token, we get stuck on are those I'm supposed to love, l lovable enough? So we find these, uh, we find these uh, ways to get out of both. We find our way to get out of honoring, and we find our way to get out of loving, because most people at some point fail at being honorable enough to be honored. And most people I know fail at being lovable enough to be loving, to be loved at some point. What we got to get, we got to decide we're going to take God seriously and believe that he is greater. Amen. Now, in this matter of a full and powerful life, Paul puts the opportunity and the burden on the prospect of how we, how the family manages authority. Uh, you know, he puts the burden of, of, of having a full and powerful life. He puts the burden of having uh, the life that we all want. Uh, we, in, in society, we wring our hands over the dark forces that try to undo us through all kinds of social crises, the opioid crisis, teen suicide, um, uh, unwanted pregnancy, violence in our, in our cities, all kinds of... Uh, uh, alcoholism that kills, what, 100,000 people a year. We, we, um, we wring our hands over these dark forces and that try to undo us through all kinds of crises. And we look to government, academia, 
even sports entertainment industry, the uh, celebrity industry. And we look to them to, to deliver us from these crises that we're in. But God communicates this to us. Just like I incarnated myself in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago through a mom, a dad, and a baby, I am once again flowing through the parent-child connection. God says, I address society's crisis. The place I want to address it is in your home. The place I want to address it is in your house. The, the, the relationship, the set of relationships that I want to address it with today is mom, dad, children. That's where I want to primarily address the crisis of our culture and the crisis of our day. Notice with me that God did not send Jesus into the lives of a disordered couple. God did not have his son be born into the lives of a disordered couple. He sent, in, he, sent his life, he sent his son into the life of a mom who got excited about obeying God, who got excited about God using her, who got excited about whatever sacrifice she had to pay to honor God. God sent his little boy into a family that under, understood honor. And not only did she honor God, she honored her husband. She honored that relationship with him. When he says, we're going to move to Egypt, they moved to Egypt. She honored her husband. Her husband loved her. God sent his son into an ordered family. So understand that winning spiritual warfare begins with just usual, unexciting, perhaps even exasperating changes like go clean your room. Take out the trash. Study for that test. Write your grandmother a thank you note. Go apologize to your teacher tomorrow. You're going to youth group. Be ready for church. We're leaving in 30 minutes. That's where spiritual power starts. You know, back in the late 70s, the Carnegie Foundation for the Family did this massive study and they came up with this enormously influential report. They said, the traditional idea of parents who teach the children how to live, we have to reject. The world is too complex and complicated. Instead, parents are more like executives of a large corporation, delegating and making sure everything gets done. The parent's job is not to exercise authority only emotional support and to take their children to the people who know where and what the children should be learning. Take them to schools, camps, educators, and psychologists, and development centers. The parent's job is to give emotional support, not impose values on the children. And, and, and I have a, a Greek word for that. Baloney. These architects of anarchy didn't know a couple of things. They didn't know 
that authority is spiritual. Authority is spiritual. And a child who experiences authority done well is experiencing God. A child who does not experience authority does not experience the Father God. And number two, the authority of parents is primary, that it may go well with you. Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you. Of course, the Bible teaches. We could go to other texts and talk about honoring the government, and honoring all kinds of things. God is big on honor. But our, our text today is about honoring parents. The authority of parents is permanent, that it may go well with you, that you may live long there. Those phrases, that places the health and welfare of a society directly on the shoulders of parental authority. Think about that. Think about that. That passage places the health and welfare of an entire society directly on the shoulders of parental functionality and authority. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that almost every conversation that you have with anyone who's troubled and, wants, and talks about whatever emotional problems they have or functional problems or dysfunction that they want to talk about, have you noticed? Have you noticed where the conversation always goes? Now, you, you're ahead of me. You know what I'm about to say. How many of you know what I'm about to say? Where does the conversation always, always, always go? My dad, my mother, if you, if you had known my mother, if you knew how I was raised, I've never had anybody say to me, uh, Pastor, do you know about the government? Do, 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 can I, do, do you know who was president when I was a little boy? <laughs> Pastor, do you know who the movie stars were when I was a little boy? Do you know who the star athletes were when I was a little boy? Pastor, I haven't even heard this. You should have seen where I went to school. Now, sometimes you might hear that. Because school can be pretty important. But hardly, I've never heard that. Invariably, you want to talk to me about your mom or your dad, even if they weren't there, especially if they weren't there. Listen, you cannot change the way God wired the universe. You cannot change the way God wired it. Maybe we ought to just go with it. <laughs> Maybe we ought to just try to make it work instead of all these things we do. Let me give you these definitions. I've got like three or four definitions I just want to throw out there about spiritual authority. There's a great book on spiritual authority. It's a classic book. I watch my knee that I recommend you read on spiritual authority. Now, when you Google spiritual authority, you're going to read all these stories about the abuse of authority. You're going to read all these stories about churches that read that book, and now the pastor's having, uh, uh, having people clean his house or something for free. You know, I don't know. Listen, gravity gets abused. So, you know, food gets abused. You're going to quit eating food? I'm not eating food anymore because somebody abused food. That, that, that's insane. God created authority. 
Spiritual authority is the power and prosperity from God that flows through our cooperation with the human authority he's placed over us. Spiritual authority is the principle that being under authority is the only righteous means of having authority. God, by channeling his power through parents to children, defeats the dark forces that diminish human lives. That's what our text says to us. Romans 13, 1 says, All authority comes from God. So again, let's unpack how God intends through obedience, honor, and responsibility to defeat the dark forces that diminish human lives. I want to ask you today to commit to believe in. You can see this go up on the screen. To commit to believe in, pray for, and commit to the four principles of family order. I'm, as I said, I've said almost every sermon in the series. My concern today and in this series is not that you know how to do it, because I think we are all going to look at this in some respects. Go, I don't know how to do it. I just believe if you will begin to believe it, you'll figure out how to do it. I just believe if you will agree with God, then you will begin to get instruction from God and wisdom from the universe about how to make it happen. So I'm really more concerned that you agree, not not that you necessarily uh, uh, know what you're going to do. Or or even, I, I suspect there are those that hear these messages that aren't, you're not even ready. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, you know, the, the, the first time I, I read the driver's ed book, I wasn't ready to drive. But, but you're going to get in training. You're, you're going to begin to aim your soul in a different direction. Speaking of, speaking of driver's ed, my, my 16-year-old daughter got her driver's license this week. <laughs> and I had that moment yesterday. I had that moment. When she texted me and said, Dad, can you pick me up from work at five? And can I take the car to worship team practice? I, I, I just, I needed counseling at that moment. <laughs> I, I just, I said, I know it's not her, it's all me. This is my problem, but I don't want to let her drive away in the car. <laughs> and it's not because I'm worried about her scratching the car. I'm not worried about the car at all. And it's not that I'm worried about her driving. She, she's a good driver. I am projecting all the bad driving decisions I have ever made onto her. That's what I'm doing. She, she took the car. and I, It was all I could do. Like every five minutes, I wanted to call her. Is that okay? How are you doing? But she can't talk on the phone. She better not answer the phone while she's driving. So. Obey your parents is a commandment that doesn't continue the same throughout your life. It's a commandment. It's different when you're six than when you're 30. Apostle Paul never wrote anywhere in the epistles, my mother told me to go to Troas. (laughs) My dad says, come home. 
He was done obeying his parents. Okay, we're going to unpack that in a minute, okay? Here, here's the four things. Obedience, honor, training, and instruction. Obedience, honor, training, and instruction. Six one. Children, obey your parents. Now, the Bible does not say, even though we, we should love our parents, the Bible does not say, here, love your parents. It doesn't say, trust your parents. It doesn't say, enjoy your parents. It doesn't say, admire your parents. It says, obey your parents. Not because you love them, not because you trust them, not because you enjoy them, not because you admire them, but for this is right. Because it's the right thing to do. This is a really important thing for me to say because you need to know there is moral order in the universe. You need to know that there's moral order in the universe. God asks us to do things because they're the right thing to do. And you also need to know this because God, and the reason he didn't say love your parents, trust your parents, admire your parents, is because he's not going to ask you to do what is not always possible. You cannot always like your parents. You cannot always admire your parents. You cannot always trust them. But in some way, somehow, you can obey. Now, would, we can, I know there's the exception where if they ask you to kill someone, you're not going to do it. But, but come on, let's just stick with the normal stuff. Take out the trash. Okay. <laughs> truth, by the way, truth, truth, always go with what's mostly true. You can find exceptions to most things. Go with what's mostly true. So mostly true, obey them and do what they ask you to do. Parents have to start. Here's, here's parents. You have to start believing in obedience. You have to stop trying to get your kids to love you, to trust you, to enjoy you, and to admire you. Try to get them to obey you. Because you're preparing them to obey God. Try to get them to do what you ask them to do because you're preparing them to do what God is going to ask them to do. And God is going to ask them to do some things that are hard. And God is going to ask them to do some things they do not feel like doing. God is going to ask them some, to do some things that they will for at least a moment not like God. Every parent must be concerned that if my kid will disobey me, they will disobey God. See, you have to react when there's defiance to teach them. It's not about you, mom, dad. It's about how life works. Uh, Sherry and I have been married for, uh, I don't know, three years, whatever. I know Jason was born. But we bought our first little house. And I just, I don't know, absentmindedly, whatever, didn't pay the gas bill. And didn't pay the gas bill. And I didn't pay the gas bill. And one day I look out my window and there's a blue truck from the town in my yard. And there was a, a big ugly man out there with a great big wrench. And he's taking my gas meter away. He took my gas meter and he put it in his truck. And I said, what are you doing? He said, you didn't pay your gas bill. What, what, what was happening? I was experiencing life. I was experiencing real life. If you don't 
pay your gas bill. The gas department doesn't call you up and go, do you love us? Do you, tr do you trust us? They just cut your gas off. There are two of life, two of life consequences for never, never hearing from your parents a firm no. One, it depends on your personality. Do you, do you realize that there's two extremes of human personality? There's empath, or people that are empathetic, very empathetic people. And you come out of the womb wired like this, by the way. You can't help it. You're mostly empathetic or you're mostly sociopathic. <laughs> we all come out on the spectrum somewhere. Now, now I'm not saying you're all the way. I'm not, I don't believe there's any total sociopaths here this morning. Probably not, but maybe. But, <laughs> but you come out somewhere on the spectrum. Now, depending on which, which end you go toward the most will depend on how you respond to an overindulgent parent who never tells you no. If you're over on this side and you tend to be more empathetic and more concerned about how everyone feels, you will lose the ability to say no if you never hear no. And there are times in life when you need to say no. I, 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 this article caught my eye this week as I was preparing for this. It, it, it jumped out of the, off the computer at me. It said... Powerless to say no. Study looks at teenage girls and sexting. And they told 462 stories of girls whose, who some guy in their life was requesting a nude photo or some, some level of nudeness in, in a photo from them over, the, over their devices. And 69% of the girls complied. 69 cent, out of these 462 stories, 69% of the girls complied. And the most striking finding is that most of the girls did not want to do it. And after they did it, they felt bad about it and they got no reward from it. But after re repeated requests from the guy, the article said they did not have the will to refuse. Now, I don't want to raise a daughter who can't say no to some jerk that wants her to send a new photo of herself. Now, where is she going to learn about no? Where is she going to learn that it's okay to say no? It's when her parents tell her no. I don't think this will build, build our church, Patrick, but it's the truth. I don't, I don't think this will cause the crowds to want to come here and be here. But I, I want to tell you the truth. And I want to tell you what it will save your soul and save the soul of your kids. The, the, by the way, the other, the other problem with no is if you're over, over on that side of the spectrum a little bit, is you can't hear no. And throughout your life, you base your relationships on whether it's, if someone tells you no, you're going to hurt them. That's not good either. So obey. Let's return to an honor of the idea of obeying authority. Now, the second thing, the principle in the family is the principle of honor. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with a promise. 
Obedience is a temporary state. Honor is forever. In fact, it should grow. As my, as my kids get older, they obey me less, but they honor me more. I feel more honor from them as their obedience decreases. Adolescent children will sometimes, and you know if you're an adolescent, you sometimes obey, but you withhold honor. I'm going to do what you said. But honor is the most important. Obedience should always flow out of honor. Satan knows dishonor. Here's the deal. Here's why, here's why it's so, it so defeats Satan when you live honorably toward, toward authority. Satan knows that dishonor of authority was his downfall. And he knows it will also be yours. How do I honor? Well, I'm glad you asked. When you honor, you show and express appreciation. Let your parents know that you appreciate them. Parents, we feel especially honored when you acknowledge that you can see the best of us in you. That's really honoring when you're a parent. When your child recognizes that some skill or some quality that they have came from you, and if they tell you, you're going to have a really good day as a parent. When your child lets you know. And, and I, I'm, a, I'm privileged to have that in my life. Children who let me know. When, you know and, and they let their mother know. That, I mean, Jay and I talk about this frequently. And we talk, he, he will talk to me about his, his, his skill at business. He knows he didn't get that from me. He got that from his mother. And he knows that his love for the word of God and to just explore and just, we got to get, you know, Jay reads Kierkegaard. You know, I don't read Kierkegaard. Yeah. But he got that love of the deeper things of the word from me. And that makes me feel honored. He doesn't always have to tell me. I feel honored when I see it. I feel honored when I see it. And I know his mother feels honored when he sees it. And with all of our kids. So, so honor them makes you show and you express appreciation. It, it, honor is also when you let them know you accept their authority. You know, I'm, I'm going to do what you ask me to do, even though I don't agree with it. When you honor, you treat them with respect. You don't speak to them abusively. When you honor to them, you provide for them. Now, that looks different when you're 16 than when you're 50, but, it's, you, and, but you don't wait to begin to honor them. I mean, you know, young people, let me tell you, if, 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 make your parents food sometimes. Clean the house for them sometimes. That shows honor. Live a life of honor. The third word is training. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Parents, it's talking about both. Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training of the Lord and instruction. Uh, uh, training of the Lord and instruction of the Lord. Now, the reason children are to obey their parents is to give the parents this platform the, the, of their most important job and that parents you're supposed to be a teacher. You're supposed to be their first life coach. You're supposed to be their first life coach and their first teacher. You are supposed to be their primary instructor about all things life. 
How do you do that? Well, first of all, to train, you have to clarify expectations. Now, training is different than instruction. We're going to show you a difference this morning in training and instruction. Training is making sure they do what is best, okay? And how do you do that? First of all, you clarify expectations. And then you make sure you're kind and you're fair. You know, let me give you a clue. And I think this is something, as I've talked to my kids about the sermon series, that they've kind of said this to me. You know, Dad, we felt like you and Mom said yes more than you said no. And you said yes as often as you possibly could. And we, we ignored a lot of things that I see, I've seen parents fight about. I mean, we never said, you've got to eat everything on your plate. I mean, if, if that's your rule, that's fine. You should honor And if that's your parents' rule, you should honor that. But we thought, that, why fight about everything? We got, some, we got a few things we're going to really fight about. We're going to really, we're going to really fight. We're going to really, really, it's going to really be important. Their, their music choices and their entertainment choices, that's going to be a big deal to us. Their, their friendship choices, that's going to be a big deal to us. We're going to watch that. But we're not going to fight all the time about clothes and did you eat your vegetables? And we don't even fight about bedtime. And now that's up to, I'm not telling you how to run your home, okay? If you fight about bedtime, that's up to you. But we never fought about bedtime. And, and I, that probably didn't serve us well sometimes. And they probably stayed up too late. But that's just something we didn't fight about. We just didn't fight about bedtime. We tried to make sure we fought about the things that would really affect them, their, especially their, what we believe their eternal self. Be vigilant. And don't be afraid. Inspect what you expect. I remember uh, one day, I'm, it's cool that Chrissy's not here because I can tell this see, without her being upset with me. Uh, uh, we, we just never were too excited about, uh, our, I was never too excited sharing about our daughters dating too soon. I, I, think, I think kids start dating way too soon these days. And I just don't think your heart is ready to, to have a full-blown Romance when you're 14. I'm sorry. Now, now if that's, I'm not telling everybody what to think, but that's, that's my thought. It's just, I just, we just didn't want that. So, I mean, uh, Christy was obviously more than 14 because she was driving at this point. And uh, she had already started to connect with Dan, who's her husband. And, and we loved Dan then, we love him now. But we just wanted to control that relationship. You know what I mean? And I remember one day, we're sitting in the house, and, and Christy goes, I got to go to CVS. She walks out the door, gets in the car, and Sherry goes, she's going to see Dan. I said, nah, she would never do that. No way. I'm saying, what, I, what I'm trying to share to you is one thing, one thing that helped us to raise kids who love Jesus today is my wife is really vigilant. I, I'm, not, I'm not that good at being vigilant. But she is really good at it. And, you know, I think she would say I was good at respecting that. I was good at honoring that in her. And, I, and like, like that day, I pushed back, oh, you're being ridiculous. But uh, Sherry wasn't going to let me talk her down. <laughs> and she jumps in her car, 
And yeah, she went to CVS, that was true, but Dan was there. <laughs> now, why did I tell you that story? I, I, I told you that story to tell you that training involves vigilance and it involves, it involves, it involves driving to CVS. <laughs> it involves caring. And the last thing here on training is get, either give positive feedback or negative consequences. Either give positive feedback or give negative consequences. This is so critical, parents. If you want to raise children who know how to fear and honor God, you have to give them consequences when they defy you. I heard of a mother one time who told her little child, her little child was banging on the cabinets. And she told the little child, if you do it again, I'm going to throw you out the window. Now, the child did it again. Now, it's very important. What I'm preaching today, if you say I'm going to throw you out the window, you need to throw him out the window. The child's eyes got huge when mom goes over and starts raising the window. Takes the little child and tosses the child out the window. Now, what the mom knew is that right outside the window was a huge pile of snow. So she knew it wasn't going to hurt the child. And I will guarantee you that child never forgot <laughs> that my mom says she's... I mean, some of you guys, you'll say, I want to take your phone away. I'm taking your phone away. And you take it away. And I'm keeping your phone. You're not going to have your phone for a week. And they know they're going to get it back in 24 hours. Because you don't have the courage to last for a week. And you think that makes them feel loved? No. It makes them feel that you don't think they're worth fighting for. I'll never forget, Jay said to me, Jay had a friend that he loved and we loved, and we loved that family. But they were a very, very broken family. And I remember the dad would not give the son any rules, any consequences. And Jay and I are driving home from their house one day, and I don't remember what the event was or what caught it, but I'll never forget it. We're driving back. And Jay was always, always, still is a real verbal person, you know. Uh, everybody in my house is verbal. I mean, <laughs> the, the reason I talk so long up here is because I don't get to talk at home. <laughs> That's not true. I, I made that up. But, but Jay, we're driving. He said, Dad, when I have a kid someday, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to fight for my kid. And it, it, it sent me back. I've never forgotten the moment. He viewed the lack of rules and the lack of supervision and the lack of vigilance by that parent as a parent who didn't fight for their kid. Way back in 1905 or 1910, a man named Emil Durkheim, David Emil Durkheim, started studying suicide among the young all the way back there. He came up with a French word, anami, which means the state where social moral norms are confused or simply not present. And he determined way back in the early 1900s 
that the, that the reason that the young were committing suicide was because of a NAMI, because they did not have clear social norms. He believed that young people, especially young men, who felt unguided in their choices, brought them to despair. You fear that consequences will crush them, but the opposite is true. Yes, you can overcorrect. Yes, you can. But the balance of consequences isn't to neglect. But it's the next thing I'm going to talk about, which I kind of got into a minute ago, which is instruction. Kids are devalued when they see that you won't put yourself through the pain of giving them consequences. We tell ourselves we love them too much. That's what we tell ourselves. But as the character Reginald in C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce says to Pam, if you've read the book, you know, Pam was a grieving mother who had been stuck in grief for 10 years over her departed, dearly departed son. And she told herself it was because of her excessive love for him that she was grieving. But Reginald says to her, no, excessive love, did you say? There was no excess. There was defect. She loved her son too little, not too much. If she had loved him more, there'd be no difficulty. That kind of love is sometimes perfectly ready to plunge the soul they love in endless misery if only they can still in some fashion possess it. Why don't you discipline your kids? Because you're afraid you're going to lose them. So who's it for? Them or you? I say, when I won't discipline my kids, it's because I love myself too much. Not because I love them too much. This is a really old-fashioned message. I bet, I, bet, uh, I bet this is not being preached very many churches in America today. <laughs> is, it okay? is it okay, though? Is it okay? Finally, let's not forget, and I, I wish I had more time to talk about this last one because it, it's really what you should be doing more of than training. You should be instructing. Do not exasperate children, but bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. So important that you be a teacher. I, when, when Jay was having a difficult time in school and he wasn't, he wasn't behaving well, he was about 12 years old, I don't know if this day made a, he's never told me this day meant anything to him. I don't know. Uh, but I know I did, I felt like I did the right thing. I took him out of school one day. I checked him out of school. And I took him to a park in Huntington. And I took my big old Bible right out there in the park bench. And for I don't know how long, I read scripture after scripture after scripture. Because I'm not just supposed to discipline my son and my daughter. I'm supposed to teach them and instruct them. I'm supposed to talk to them and share with them. The Bible, see, rejects the extreme authoritarian model of the family, and it also rejects the extreme support-only model. The essence of being a parent is being a teacher. The parent, we are to use our authority to raise them up, to eventually get them out from under our authority. We want to raise them up. You can, all, you, know, yeah, you can go out of balance with instructing. You can always be talking and instructing and never, ever give them a consequence. Or you can always be giving consequence, but never, never reasoning and talking 
Uh, you know, did, did that make you feel good? You know, when you just do want to talk, did that make you feel good to smash that picture? How did that make you feel? Well, sometimes you got to stop talking to give consequences, but you need to talk. Or you can only be a parent who supervises and give consequences. Don't go either way extreme. One of the ultimate and beautiful expressions of authority is teacher. Parents, your primary expression of your authority is you're a teacher. So let me tell you, wrestle, wrestle with God, the great questions of life and talk to them with your kids. I observe a lot of you spending great amounts of energy. And by the way, there, I observe a lot of good parenting in this room. I observe a lot of great parenting. I observe a lot of parents who care, a lot of parents who do, are do, working really hard. I also observe a lot of you spending great amounts of energy and time and money on activities. Sports programs, music programs, dance programs, trips to amusement parks, even Caribbean cruises, and RV and tent camping. I think that's mostly good, but being an activities director can be overrated. God says you are a teacher, a sage, a source of wise counsel. Explore the great questions of life with your children. Now, you know, do you know why you love Jesus? You know why you love Jesus? Because he honored his dad. You know why Satan trembles at the name of Jesus? Because Jesus honored his dad. You know why we put crosses everywhere and the sight of crosses make us feel sacred and special? Because Jesus honored his dad. You know why Jesus won, even though it looks like he lost? Because he honored his dad. You know why Christianity is the irrepressible, undefeatable religion that never stops growing? You guessed it. Because Jesus, at great personal price, obeyed his Father. The old rugged cross was a moment that both dad and son despised. But they knew it was the right thing to do. They both knew that honor and spiritual authority had to be restored to the, to the planet. They knew it had to be restored after the rebellion and dishonoring of authority by Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, when the Son of Man said, Dad, I'll honor you, reversed the original Son of Man in the Garden of Eden, which said, Dad, I will dishonor you. So the dishonor that was aimed at the Heavenly Father in the Garden of Eden was corrected in the Garden of Gethsemane by a son who said, Not my will, Dad, but thine be done. Hallelujah. I appreciate I, I, I You know what I'm really grateful for this morning? I want uh, is the worship team coming and prayer partners. Well, something I've noticed lately, I've noticed a lot of you with grown children. who Maybe they're not right where you'd like to see them. Lord, I've, you've told me stories about calling them and connecting with them and loving on them. That is so fantastic. Let me encourage you to keep it up. 
Now this morning, some of you are in this place and you came to the service today and you may think, well, my children are grown or I don't know that this message has anything for me. But it's never too late with God. It's never too late with God. God's grace is so amazing. Would you just start to pray that God will begin to restore your family? Whatever that looks like and whatever your family looks like, that God will begin to restore them and God's power and God's presence will begin to happen. And if you have grown sons and daughters, that they're not going to obey you anymore. God help you if you're still trying to control them that you would start to be a voice of wisdom and a voice of God and a voice of, of, of power into, the, into their lives. And you would start to connect with them at a different level, but at a level of ministry to them. God wants to do something powerful. We've got to take our ministries back to our families. We've got to take our ministries back to our families, whatever your family looks like. Whatever ages they are, if they're little bitty guys or if they're bigger than you, take your ministry back to your family and begin to pray and begin to do the heavy lifting involved in seeing the will of God and the kingdom of God come to your household. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for the families in our church. Some will want to come forward this morning and be prayed for. There are others who have other needs in this place. I pray that they would be touched as they come forward. So let's come forward and be prayed for today. You may not have family issues. You may have other things in your life. That's what these prayer partners are for. Let's enter into response time. God bless you, Bethany. The life you gave Your body was broken Your love poured out you're bleeding and die for me there on the cross. You breathe last as you were crucified. You give it all for me. Hallelujah, you are the Savior.
great starting point for everything is the cross and even if a message like this kind of leaves you maybe bewildered because of where your life is because your life doesn't fit one of these neat categories of family you understand that sometimes sermons are to certain groups you can always start at the cross you can always start by saying God I just want to worship you because you were the example of honor and obedience. And God, teach me that principle in my life.